Blog Talk Radio. Solutions-oriented talk radio show and podcast, and this is your host Brian Perkins. Uh, today we have with us uh, Dr. Shannon T. Bailey, who is a, a medical scientist, uh, has a PhD from the Yale School of Medicine in cellular and molecular biology. Um, and so I've invited uh, Shannon to come and share with us, um, hopefully in a, a very plain way, to debunk some of the commonly held myths about the current pandemic and shed a little bit of light on the information that we thought would be uh, helpful to leaders and communities and organizations. So welcome, Shannon. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your program. I'm very excited to be here. Yes, we're we're excited to have you. Um, And so I've I've been with a number of of my colleagues, and, and of course, for almost a year now, we've been talking about uh, the coronavirus uh, vaccine, and and so we, today we're just completely dedicated to um, talking about uh, what it means and what it doesn't mean. But first, I just give you an opportunity to say a little bit about the work you do. We, uh, some people may have uh, heard me say, you know, electrobiology might want to say a little bit about what that means, but um, tell a little bit about you. Yeah, um, so a little bit about myself. I'm actually from um, Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, and uh, it was kind of there. I don't come from, I'm like first generation um, college and, and extended on to graduate school, and, and it was there where I really got interested in the field of just science and biology. Um, just out of chance working in a, at a hospital that was across the street from my high school. And, and so that, that bit of interest led me into um, the field that I'm in now. Like you said, I'm not a virologist. I'm actually a cancer biologist um, where I study uh, cancers using DNA sequencing. Um, we use the DNA sequencing to identify different mutations in patients where we can match them with uh, therapies that will um, have a higher chance of success for, for treating the patients. Um, this is something that I've been doing for over 20 years. As you said, I got my PhD at Yale, spent some time at Harvard where I did my postdoc, and I was briefly on faculty as an um, instructor in medicine. Um, I'm very you know, passionate about cancer research. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And, and I, those of you who may be wondering, I invited Shannon on because this is, this is right in line with uh, his area of expertise in terms of understanding the mechanisms, while not a virologist or a immunologist, right. but, uh, but certainly understanding the mechanisms by which uh, uh, viruses enter the body and, and so forth. So I, I really want to jump in. There are a few things that I want to know and invite um, every month we, we have, sometimes people uh, call in, I, I welcome guests call in today, uh, feel free to call in to our number is 
657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. And, um, and so uh, let's start with the virus itself. Uh, I remember uh, last year, uh, at the beginning of the year, where there, there was reports about the virus being in, in China and just never thought that it was going to end up here. And, you know, there has been quite a bit of talk about the, the origins of the virus, and it can be very confusing to some um, about it. Um, I know that it became very political about the origins, and I know one question that has popped up in almost every conversation that I've been in is, has been around the man-made nature of the virus. Um, and so can you speak just a little bit to, um, from a scientist's perspective, um, how, what, what would make us think or believe it was man-made and what would it take for that to, uh, to happen? Uh, say a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good question. Um, I, I've heard these sorts of uh, theories out there as well. Um, I, from a scientific perspective, I don't think that anyone believes that it's actually man-made. We know that this is a virus that has come from um, different animals, um, animals that uh, humans don't normally interact with, but uh, these animals served as hosts for these, for these uh, viruses uh, in China. So, for example, there's uh, the bats, which uh, is what is thought where this virus actually originated. Um, so the, the infection that we have now, or this p pandemic that we're going through now, is not the first time that we've seen it. Um, it's called SARS-CoV-2. There was a SARS outbreak that happened around 2002, 2003, um, and this was actually also thought to have come from bats. Um, it, it is thought that there's, you know, there's been some sort of a, a um, maybe an evolution or a mutation, but you know, just in general, we know that viruses are are things that are are not living. That's what we're taught in science. They're not living, although there's some debate about that. But if they were considered living things, they would be the most abundant living um, state, um, uh, uh, category of organisms on Earth. And so there are many different viruses that are out there, and and sadly, we can expect that we'll probably have other types of infections over time. But I don't believe that these are actually um, man-made at all. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And and so um, just to recap what you said, it sounded like you were saying that the that there's evidence that these have that this particular virus has actually come from um, that were in uh, some of the information the information that was shared. In documentaries, I know that I, I was see, that I've seen, um, whether it's cats or others. Um, so it sounds like there's evidence. That is true. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, that's very helpful. And so moving further into the virus, you know, we we so there's research going on, and there's research around, uh, you know, a number of labs. Participated in, um, and I know from having you know some experience working in labs, you know they're pretty small groups of people, and 
and generally, particularly when you talk about in the for-profit sector where um, things are kept secret and and they don't share results, uh, it's like that the difference with happened recently with the warp speed effort that labs we we heard that they said labs were sharing information. Um, what does that look like? You know, for it to make sense to us for labs to share information. What makes that different, and what's important for how quickly they are able to solve some of the problems that that were uh, or questions that were outstanding about this virus? Yeah, so the, the sharing of information, I think, is necessary. I think people have recognized that um, because it is a, a pandemic, um, because so many people are affected and so many people are, are dying. Um, the sharing itself uh, is, is probably more of a, I would say, a more recent phenomenon in science where, where labs are realizing that um, it takes a number of really smart individuals to be able to solve the different problems. So an example of the, the sharing that we have is that you can actually go online. There are scientific resources online that any scientist can use um, from anywhere in the world, and we're able to, uh, you know, test our hypotheses, design new treatments and, and other um, um, forms of, uh, um, you know, alleviating the different um, um, infections and things like that. So. So the sharing has come partly from that, but also the governments have recognized, particularly the U.S. government, that for us to be able to eradicate this, that we need to um, come together. So in, in such a pandemic, you need to uh, design the treatments. You have to come up with effective treatment. You have to test people. And once you decide that it's safe, you didn't have to make enough of the vaccine to give out to people. What the U.S. government did was that they made agreements, I think, with six different um, companies where they, before these things were completely tested, before they were um, approved or given the emergency use authorization, they actually started making the viruses and scaling them up. And that's the only way that you really can get it out, out the door um, as soon as it's approved. So that's, that's where a lot of the collaboration came in because they recognized that this is what needs to be done. Uh, and so, but typically you wouldn't have people at this this level um, sharing with, with for lack of better words, um, uh, the proprietary information discoveries because it was a kind of a global effort. That's correct. Yeah. 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 That's what. Uh, that's it, it, certainly I thought. Uh, you know. One of the main reasons why it happened so quickly was, you know, you had a lot of brilliant minds at the problem. So especially if people are talk have the ability to um, to not make mistakes unnecessarily, where in lab mm-hmm. might say, we discover X, so don't do it that way. You know, keep going and do it. You know, yeah, right. we could, so, yeah, absolutely. And we can, we can share, you know, what, you know, our – if we messed up somewhere, we can tell you, don't go down that path. Or maybe right. they can think of a different way, right? right. Um, it, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, as I mentioned, there was a previous SARS infection back in 2002, 2003. Um, based on that infection, 
researchers have been working on ways to eradicate um, viruses like that one, which is the current virus is just like that. So there, there's mm-hmm. been research that's been published that, you know, that we've actually used that, that the companies have used now to um, put into effect for the vaccines that are available today. Sure. sure. And so what for me means that this didn't just happen uh, new. We've been at this close to 20 years of looking at, say, the SARS outbreak. I remember um, I was, I had to, and I don't know to what extent it's similar, but I remember I was traveling to China and I had to each one in one. Um, and there were all kinds of, I, all kinds of other viruses uh, that happened since then that I've learned. You know, so there was Ebola, but there were others that people have been researching all along. We didn't start last March uh, right. looking for uh, a way to address this. And I think that's the, that's the real big message that um, I really haven't heard a lot of. That this, this was something that people have been working on for a while. Yeah. And the other thing I'd point out, too, is that um, science advances, right? You know, back in 2003 when the first SARS was around, we've only had um, the first human genome sequence for a couple of years. I think that was published in 2001. But mm-hmm. since that time, DNA sequencing has become um, so much faster, so much cheaper, so much easier. And so nowadays, so this is almost 20 years later, um, it's, it's really a simple process to find the virus, sequence its genome, and we know everything that's in it, and then we can um, move on to attack it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's, re- it, it's just not fair to compare what happened here with, say, 20 years ago um, and what, where we might have been um, from a scientific point of view when another similar virus, um, it's just we, we have much more information now. Um, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So um, for those of you who are just joining us, um, you've reached the Perkins platform, uh, and we have um, medical scientists Dr. Shannon T. Bailey, who is talking about the virus, the vaccine, the pandemic, explained for non-scientists. Um, and so we, we've just been talking uh, about uh, the, the scientific advances uh, and uh, what the virus is and is not. I, I want to go back to the, the vaccines and, and a, a one quick question about vaccines that, um, or, or actually it may be more related to viruses themselves. But um, so another thing I've heard um, questioned is that, so you have other viruses. Um, There is the HIV virus. There are other viruses that we still don't have a cure for. How is it that they came up with this? Why don't we know how to cure the other? So what's the difference? What, what made their, the, the advances so quickly with this virus and not some of the others? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. So, you know, I will say that there, there is, you know, first, there are a lot of successes with viruses, um, and we get vaccinated with all of them, a lot of them when we're a child, right? So we no longer have, like, polio, and, um, you know, we have measles, rubella, and we get tetanus shots, and things like that that, that um, protect us. So I think there are some outliers, 
that are difficult, more difficult, like HIV. The HIV virus is one that, that mutates. Um, it's uh, based on the way that its biology works. It tends to accumulate a lot more mutations, which makes it more difficult to develop a vaccine to. So for a vaccine to efficiently work, you need to be able to um, uh, um, vaccinate a person and the, where the immune system can recognize it and uh, um, remove it from your system. However, if it mutates often enough, it won't, um, you won't be able to remove every variant of that, of that, of that virus. And so that's pretty much the reason why. And, and that's why we're inoculated for, um, vaccinated for flu every year, because that, that's one of that uh, mutation schedule that's, um, that's much slower than um, HIV. Um, mm-hmm. HIV, you could think of as being a much more faster one. And, and so um, what I, you know, just hearing that there are these mutations that happen uh, there have been some that say, well, it's already mutated. Uh, does that have something to do with um, what this vaccine, how this vaccine, the mechanism for the vaccine around the, I know we talked, to, we hear a lot about the messenger RNA. Um, okay. Say a little about that. I, I'm, you know, I'm not clear about what that has to do with um, the fact that now there's been a mutation discovered. And if the current vaccine is practically void and null and void because uh, there's another version. Yeah, so there, the jury is actually still out on that. There, there's, uh, it's unclear whether um, these vaccines will be um, able to still be effective against the ones of the variants or not. Um, there, it, it depends on where the mutations actually are. So if, if we could take a step back and talk about what these viruses actually are. So there's two that are approved for emergency use. Um, that's the Moderna one and the one that's by Pfizer. And these are mRNA vaccines. So um, what these vaccines are is just basically, um, you know, if we remember from our basic biology classes that, you know, DNA encodes the blueprint for, for our makeup. So it encodes the, uh, has the blueprints for the proteins that, you know, make up our skin or eyeballs or um, GI tract or whatever. Um, but to make the proteins, DNA actually goes through an intermediate step called mRNA. And so for the, uh, um, the COVID vaccines, these encode mRNAs that encode the protein that is found outside of the virus. So these coronaviruses, they have these uh, spikes, spike proteins that are on the outside of it. And so that is actually what's being recognized by the immune system. So if you can imagine within the viral genome, so every virus has some genetic material encoded. So it's either DNA or RNA. COVID just happens to be RNA. But um, within that genome, it includes all of the genes that it, that it needs um, to become a brand new virus. Whereas the viruses only contain a gene for that spike protein. So now if there are mutations that are found in the virus in other genes not associated with the spike protein, you wouldn't expect that that, that would affect the, um, um, the, the efficacy of the virus. But mm-hmm. if there were ones that affected it, you would. So I think, you know, they're still trying to figure that part out, you know, whether, that's, um, whether the vaccines will still be effective or not. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So just trying to put it in uh, some lay terms. So as I think about, so think about a, a, a chocolate cake or a vanilla cake, um, and the icing on the outside is how you recognize the cake. And so in this case, it really doesn't matter what's on the inside, whether it's a chocolate cake or vanilla cake. The fact is the icing is what is going to determine whether, you know, what, how you recognize what kind of cake it is, right? So, yeah. Yeah. so what, what happens is this, this um, you look at it and the, the, um, the cake is discovered because, and you, you know, I don't like chocolate cake. Well, I, I look at the outside and I can recognize it because it has a certain color on the, the, um, the frosting. And that's basically how it works, is that it's not going inside as most other vaccines are using what's on the inside. This one uses to determine where the body is, is, is recognizing it, it's determined by what's on the outside. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I, I like your analogy, and I'm going to start using that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you can think of it in that way. Yeah, yeah good, good. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and then finally, um, I do want to talk a little bit about the pandemic overall. I, I know that it, there has been a lot of controversy and even some medical doctors. And this is the thing that really surprised me that, you know, it became so political about mask wearing. And we, we know that masks were um, eventually showed up to be a very important aspect of it. And I remember hearing um, someone say, who was a medical doctor on TV, say, you know, viruses are much smaller than the, you know, than the, the fabric weave in a, in a mask. And so a virus could pass right through a, a mask opening. And I just thought to myself, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Viruses aren't just floating around like these micro these uh, micro proteins just kind of floating around. They're attached to something. They're attached to droplets. They're attached to mucus or other things. And so that's how they actually get transmitted from person to person. So am I wrong to assume that it that it's actually uh, important to wear the mask because it is the mask actually blocks those kind of the, the medium where the virus is being trans like is being transported from one place to the to the next, it's actually blocking those. Is that the mechanism or am I missing it? No, it's I think it's a, a combination of things, right? So the um there are pores within any cloth that you use and viruses as well as what they're attached to actually can be much smaller than those cloths. Mm-hmm. But the but the recommendations aren't just to wear masks. The recommendations is mask plus six feet if you're yeah. indoors, right? Sure. Um, sure. If you're if those are indoor um, recommendations, and so if you're six feet with a mask on outdoors, that's even better because there's air circulation and 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 things of that nature. There have been studies on um, done on this where people have either worn masks or they've done it in the more controlled laboratory settings. The, try different materials to see what passes through. And 
And things can, viruses can get through. Um, they do recommend the N95 mask. It's supposed to be much, much better. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, or, you know, nowadays you'll see people, if you, if you saw like the Capitol yesterday, a lot of people were in double masks, maybe the surgical mask and the cloth mask. Um, that, that would be also effective. Um, but, but simply following the guidelines is much better than not. And if you right. look at the countries that have lower um, infective uh, um, rates, uh, these countries uh, are, are places where, it's, where they've been wearing masks, where it's been normal. China, you know, it started there, and, and they've gotten it, you know, under much better control than us. But in that culture, um, it's not uncommon to see people walking around with masks, and people start right. to wear masks once it's once it's happened. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I, so I yeah. Okay. So sorry, go ahead. What you were saying? No, I was just saying. So it's unfortunate that it's become a political thing because we know that wearing the mask actually actually helps. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and so if if we look at where we are now, um, so we have people, we have the vaccinations uh, supposedly going to occur. Um, we, we are hearing things like herd immunity and, you know, here we are almost a year later and um, they, you know, a lot of deaths probably, um, I mean, certainly more than I ever thought were going to happen, but, um, but you hear uh, people talk about herd immunity and that it's going to happen eventually. It won't be the it won't be the vaccines. It'll be herd immunity by the time this is all over. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts about that? And can you say a little bit about what what the difference is between uh, uh, vaccine being effective and immunity? Right. So, so herd immunity is the idea that. Um, enough people have built up an immune response um, to the virus that that you will not um, that people who have not been affected uh, won't get it or will be much much lower rates. So you to put it in context, you can think of it as that you know we've been vaccinated for the measles, and so there is some herd immunity for the measles. So if someone showed up in our community who wasn't vaccinated, the chances of them getting the measles are much lower than if, uh, if everyone wasn't vaccinated, right? Um, it's, not, um, it's, it's not impossible, and it can happen, and there have been notable instances where people have gone against viruses and have gotten, and there have been um, measles outbreaks. Um, but having said that, that's if everyone has some sort of immune response. If we never got a vaccine, um, it will build up over time. But that means that everyone has to get um, COVID-19 or mm-hmm. a large percentage of the population, probably 90 to 95% of the population has to get COVID-19 for herd immunity to actually work. And that's what some people have been pushing. So mm-hmm. where the vaccines come in is that by giving a vaccine, you're also building the immunity of, of the person. So you can do it slowly by having everyone eventually become affected, or you can vaccinate everyone and build up that immunity in the same way. So they're also, they're also um, having a response against the virus. And so in this way, you will also build that herd immunity um, for the population. 
Excellent. It's Thank just that you. the vaccine accelerates accelerates the herd immunity. Wow. Thanks. That's very clear and makes a lot of sense. Um, so um, as we, we get uh, on to our last call, I just want to see any, any um, I don't want to say predictions, but what, what is it that you see for us um, about the, you know, if we get this vaccine uh, in arms um, soon, um, what does it look like? What are, at least in your your community, your professional community, um, what are people saying about um, people being able to um, resume being in, in places again without that? When, when will we be in a position to to do that? I think um, the people that I talk to, I think we're mostly um, optimistic that the end of the year um, will be when we can start to resume um, normalcy. Um, but there's still a lot of unknowns, I would say. Um, you know, those variants are out there, and and it 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 maybe they maybe they will. You know. Um, not be as effectively eradicated with the virus. Um, the virus, the vaccines that are out there now too, they, they have emergency use authorization, which means uh-huh. that these are unapproved. These are unapproved treatments um, that are used because they're because they have shown some effectiveness. They haven't gone through the full um, FDA approval yet, right? And so we don't know a lot about the long-term consequences of of the virus, you know, how long does it last? You know, is it going to be, are you vaccinated? Is it good for three months? You know, um, hopefully not. And people don't think that, um, people think it would probably be more um, longer than that maybe. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people are optimistic that we'll get back to normal. Um, start to have some idea of normal by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. So thank you, Shannon, for taking time out of your, your lunchtime. Um, uh, we really appreciate you coming in, joining us, and I'm sure this has been very helpful and informative to uh, the so many people that listen in. And so um, keep up the good work. It's so good to um, hear from you again and uh, looking forward to when this is all over, uh, getting together and having uh, a, a brotherhood dinner. So uh, you take care of yourself. Yeah. And to our um, listeners, until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you so much. I enjoyed uh, having this.